we started this series, uh, it's been almost two months ago. Um, the focal point this morning, or launching point, is you go to verse 6 of chapter 1. Paul writes, and you remember the Apostle Paul is a prisoner at this point in his life. He's older, and uh, he writes this great letter to the Philippians, and he makes a statement in verse 6 of chapter 1, for I am confident of this very thing. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I'm confident of this very thing. He's an older man. He's been on all of his missionary trips. I think you may be familiar with his history. Obviously, he's responsible for the majority of the writing of the New Testament. But he says to the Philippians, older man, prisoner, a letter of encouragement. Uh, it is a letter that emphasizes rejoicing. But he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the entire rest of the letter, the whole letter, is the proof of that statement. So you could just put that statement on every verse that then ensues uh, this statement. And so uh, if you're answering a question from someone and say, okay, well, tell me what God has done for you. You could camp out right here in the book of Philippians, starting with this statement, and you could apply it to every dynamic of your life, your spiritual life, your physical life, your intellectual, your emotional, because this is the truth about the statement. And Paul's saying, I'm confident, I'm confident, I'm confident of, of this thing. I know it's true. And so I talked a couple of weeks ago that confidence, faith, and hope are tied together. And we went through that very next verse. But I, I'm going to read that. really want us to focus this morning on verse 8. So we'll just keep reading verse 7. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. We taught that lesson. And then now, verse 8, for God is my witness. I'll read the rest in a minute. For God is my witness. Paul just read a passage of Scripture out of Acts chapter 6 and 7. And it's a pivotal moment in the history of the church. The church is in its infancy. Christ has been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. The, the New Testament church which you and I are a part of, was established. Stephen was one of the very first deacon's servants. He was accused by the same people that had falsely accused Jesus of insurrection and blasphemy, the same group of people. Same group of people. And then they did the same thing to him that they did to Jesus. They brought false witnesses. In 1998, I had the opportunity to go to Pepperdine University. It was a great lectureship. We were there for uh, seven days. Uh, Monday through Friday of that week of this lectureship, they had all the different things that you could attend, somebody teaching something about something. One of the ones, the class that I went to, was a five-day class taught by a husband and wife. The husband was a preacher and the wife was a lawyer. And so you can only imagine, brilliant people, wonderful people, godly people, but uh, both of them highly intellectual, and, uh, and they did share 
some of the great communication that took place in their marriage as a husband and a preacher, and, uh, or a, a preacher and a lawyer. And, but what they did, they took the gospel of Matthew, and they showed, if you were Jewish 2,000 years ago, you would have completely got it. Matthew and his gospel was primarily written to the Jews to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that they crucified. And throughout the whole gospel, he's using statements and scripture and uh, all the things that if you were Jewish 2,000 years ago, that would in fact prove to you that Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. One of the things that they did circulated around um, as a lawyer and a preacher, uh, the trial of Jesus, the trial. I learned a great deal that week. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you go to the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law, the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote them. There is a great deal in those, uh, those law writings of Moses that has to do with trials and witnesses, accusations, trials, the trial of the accused, the defense of the accused, and witnesses. It's all over those books. And, and they really dissected that as it related to Jesus in the book of Matthew. And, and for instance, if you go to the law, you may not know this, it was against the law, Jewish law, to arrest someone at night. It's against the law. So if you recall, when Jesus was arrested, he was arrested at night. Matthew proves on the basis of the law that the law was broken, the things that they were accusing Jesus of, and the very arresting of him. Then it was the witness issue. And then Matthew spends a great deal of time talking about the witnesses. Here's something I didn't know at that point in my ministry. When you read Leviticus or you read Numbers and Deuteronomy, you'd probably step away from that and think, man, boy, if you do this, this is the consequence. If you do this, I mean, this and this and this and every dynamic of your life. And it would be pretty depressing because uh, it doesn't take much for us to stumble. And so you would look at that. Ooh, I blew that one. I'm not going to go through the synopsis of the law, but you just read it. It's pretty exacting. But I didn't know this. Uh, the law, in order for it to be enforced, to find someone guilty, that even though the law was very exacting, the law provided for something that almost always ended in mercy. And it was the witness dynamic. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the law would teach that if uh, Barbara, one of your kids, made an accusation against the other kid, you know, and you, well, who's telling the truth, right? Well, I got witnesses. Now, this is the way the law was done. If you were a witness and somebody had made an accusation against you, that you would go to the high priest. One of the other laws that was broken, according to the law, when they brought Jesus before the high priest, the high priest spoke. It was against Jewish law for the high priest to speak at a trial. He was arrested at night. The high priest spoke. And he was supposed to remain silent on the mercy seat, trying really not to influence the case so that God could be glorified with the hope that there would be mercy. But he broke the law. The Jews broke the law. And then what did they have to do? If you remember, they couldn't get 
witnesses to agree. Now, if you were alive at any time 3,500 years ago, up to 2,000 years ago, and you had been accused of breaking a Jewish law according to the word of God, and you went before the high priest, and they brought witnesses, and the way they would do that, Rick, is it was kind of a closed-door deal. So the way they would do that is the witnesses would be out somewhere else, and you bring in a witness. And there are actually recorded historical records of this where somebody comes in, and they, and they say, well, what, what happened? Here's the accused, here's the accusation. And you say, well, on this day at this time, and I was walking here, and it was over here. Okay, it's written down. You leave. The next guy comes in, because you had to have two. You couldn't accuse somebody on the testimony of one witness. Could not do it, according to the law. Witness, right? Now, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, they couldn't find two witnesses that, that had to have false witnesses, just like they did in the case of Stephen. They brought false witnesses. But in that testimony, say you and I both saw something. And Rick comes in and he said, well, I saw this and I saw that. And it was the truth. They, you leave, I go in. This is a part of Jewish history, recorded history, in cases like what I'm illustrating. And then my testimony was basically you and I tell the same testimony. But if you had said, well, you know, we were over here. Uh, it was, we, there was, there's an apple tree. And I came in and I said, well, we were over here. Yeah, I was over there by a fig tree. The case was dismissed. It was dismissed. Now, maybe you weren't lying. I wasn't lying. But to bring an accusation against someone and to provide witnesses, the law required that not only was the testimony accurate, but it was identical. Now, I don't know if you knew that. This is a great week for me. And so I read this statement in Philippians that has to do, because don't you want this? Don't you want to be able to say, I'm a Christian, 2021, Curtin, Texas, whatever you got, you know, whatever that, that's who I am. Husband, wife, father, mother, whatever. And I need, if you want to, I need some confidence. I'm about to graduate from high school. I need some confidence. My marriage is in trouble. I need some confidence. My health is in bad shape. I need some confidence. The business struggling, the marriage is divided, whatever it is. And in my faith and my hope, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm like John the Baptist in the jail. I've been falsely accused. Uh, this evil king is holding me. I'm the cousin of Jesus. I had confidence, but now I'm in jail. And would somebody please go ask my cousin, the one I baptized, are you really the one? So we lose our confidence. And wouldn't you like to just know that you could say, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me is going to complete it until, until the day of Christ. Paul said it, and then he makes a statement, verse 8, for God is my witness. Of what? How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about a relationship. He only makes this statement two more times in his um, epistles. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Should be easy for you to remember. 
Now, the word witness to Paul resonates way different than it does for you and I, based upon what I just gave you a brief sampling of, the way he understood the Old Testament. Witness to Paul was the highest, the most important thing that a person could have. For We say it just flippantly. I swear by God, or I'll, I'll, I'll put my hand on a Bible, or well, God is my witness. And we just use it flippantly. Paul would have never used that flippantly. He understood the significance of it. And so the three times in his epistle, Holy Spirit-inspired writing of Scripture, he would say twice in one letter, this one in this letter, God is my witness. And you should read those verses. For time's sake this morning, I'm going to challenge you to read them. They have something in common. They have something in common. And what the in common is, is this. For God is my witness, how I long for you. With all, with all, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to stop right there. I want you to think of all the relationships that you have in your life. And you say you're a Christian. And you believe that you are confident God is working a good thing in your life. And he's perfecting it. It's a growing, maturing process in your life. I want to be a better Christian father. I want to be a better Christian husband. I want to be a better Christian mother, brother, sister, whatever. Employer, employee, whatever. Farmer, rancher, whatever. And I need the confidence that God is going to complete that work in me, my role in life as a Christian. Fill in the blank. And, and so now... Look at this statement again and what it has to do with your relationship with God and your relationship with everybody. Your brother and sister in Christ. Your fellow Christians. Not just your husband, your wife, your children, your family, your close personal friends. Even your enemies. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you want to be sons of God? You want to be perfect? You want to be holy? Love your enemies. Affection. This word that he uses that translates affection here means the enduring and endearing love of God. So what he says, my God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the endearing, enduring love of God of Christ Jesus. Again, challenge yourself. Is there anybody you feel that way about that you could say, God is my witness? God is my witness. Understanding witness the way Paul understood witness. Not a flippant thing. Now, one other dynamic. Have you ever gone to a court of law and seen witnesses testify? Have you ever been a witness in a court of law? Is there anybody you'd want to Witness for you. I need you to be my witness. Is there anybody you wouldn't want to be a witness against you? You answer those questions. I've had to testify in court. It's not a pleasant thing. I've seen testimony in court. It's not a pleasant thing. It really, I, my situations... Where I've gone to witness <laughs> witnesses and hear the voice of the accused and the guilty and the innocents and judges and lawyers. And so you say, okay, you've been accused of something. 
You need a witness. What's the problem with any witness that you and I could provide for any reason, for anything? I mean, I might choose, hey, why? Hey, why? I need you to testify. I need you to be a witness. Lorna, I need you. I've been accused of something here. I need you. Well, okay. I would choose you because I thought, well, she's got something to bring to it. She's going to tell the truth. She loves me. Well, that's okay. But here's the problem with any witness that you and I could provide for any reason, for anything, we're all flawed. You've seen it on TV show after TV show and Hollywood movie and there's a court setting and the witnesses and we're always intrigued and and the, the thing is unfolding and the witnesses. And we've seen how an ironclad witness seems to be well, so a pretty good attorney can make them look foolish. Or, or, or maybe that witness has a flaw in them. So again, look at the statement, for God is my witness. And my confidence of God completing a, a work in me. A good work. Here's the great thing about God as witness. Who could bring a charge against him? And it would stand and be true. Who could identify a flaw in him to help refute a testimony? You couldn't. I can't. No one could. Satan couldn't. His minions couldn't. The, 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 the atheist can't. And in fact, the one that says, I don't believe there is a God, the scripture says, is a fool. Who can bring a charge against God? Who can refute God? Who can make God look foolish as a witness? But all of these statements, the only three of them, they have something in common, and it's about God who can look at and know him and say, I'm saying God is my witness of the affection that I have for all of you. God is my witness. We've been called to be light, sweet aroma, salt. You know, I wouldn't want to be my witness so many times in the uh, court of law, they do not want the accused uh, to testify on their behalf. They don't, because they know attorneys can be pretty wily, and there's a court recorder, and people are trying to figure out who's telling the truth. And, and uh, so they'll tell the accused, well, the lawyer, the, the lawyer, we don't want you to testify. We don't want you to be your own witness. Okay, I understand that. So again, ask yourself, we are all going to stand and then kneel before God. We are. We are. And we'll only have one witness that will be heard. And it won't be my voice. And it won't be the voice of someone that loves me dearly an individual, a human being. There's only one who will witness on my behalf and or against me. Only one. We live our lives so flippantly many times, not fully understanding the impact of what is being witnessed. Now, I can hide a lot of stuff from you. I, I can't. I can witness on my own behalf. My wife might have 
an accusation against me or maybe a kind word. Um, but, you know, she's my wife. In fact, in the court of law, you know, a spouse is not required. You don't have to, you, you don't have to testify against your spouse, on or for, on behalf of or against. So we're all going to face a dilemma. Now, let me tell you when the dilemma is going to happen. The minute you breathe your last breath. The testimony begins. That's it. Anybody in here know when they're going to breathe their last breath? Anybody have a clue when they're going to breathe their last breath? Anybody? Got a call yesterday. Young lady that I've known since she's 12 years old and she's now in her 30s. Um, she has a daughter that's 15. They live in Abilene. And uh, the 15-year-old daughter uh, just had twins. They were born um, five months ago. They were in NICU for uh, four months. Um, they got home a month ago, and Thursday, um, one of the twins rolled over in the cribs, face down, um, and apparently suffocated. So the twin is dead, and the young lady that I knew that's now in her 30s, she called me, and of course, it's difficult. I had buried her mother when we moved here four years ago, and I'd buried her grandfather um, maybe a year before that. It's been a tragedy, and then her 15-year-old daughter gets on the phone, and she can barely speak. Um, they had to take the five-month-old baby to Austin for an autopsy because, you know, you have a five-month-old baby that dies. The other baby was in the house and, and is on uh, oxygen. And so CPS comes in, and they take that baby away. It's procedure. Well, they don't know. They're going to have a court hearing on the 19th with CPS to, you know, they can do it on Zoom. I guess it's, well, somebody's going to have to make a decision of what's going to happen with this now, which will be a, you know, six-month-old baby. What, is the state going to get the baby? Is the mom going to have the baby returned? These always tell you I don't believe in coincidence. And I, there's more to the story. My heart just breaks. They've asked me to do the funeral service of the five-month-old baby when they get the baby back, and we'll be, have that funeral sometime next week. And I look at the weight of this statement, and I look at the frailty of our life. Does anybody in here, do you know when you're going to breathe your last breath? Who will you bring as a witness to the judgment seat of God? You, who? I won't get to bring Tammy. I wouldn't want to bring some of y'all. But there's going to be a witness to my life. 
we live our lives sometimes, maybe many times, very flippantly. And he makes a statement here about affection. I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a, and he says, God's my witness. I thought a great deal about this, uh, a whole lot this week. Do you know what Satan's number one job is? Number one. To accuse the saints. He's an accuser. He's witnessing against you and I. Now, when he accuses, he, he wants to accuse God first. He accused God in the garden with Eve. Did God really say? Yeah, oh, Eve said, yeah, he did. Now nah, he didn't. You can't trust him. He brought an accusation against God, and it was an accusation that obviously was false. But Eve fell into, we have the witness and the testimony of Eve's fall, then Adam's. And now, consequently, you and I were all born into sin, Psalm 51. I was born in my iniquity. That's the witness and the testimony against you and I. And so uh, Satan is the accuser. So he falsely witnesses accusing you and I of something. Now he accuses God as a liar. He accuses you as a liar. He accuses me as a liar. He accuses me of malice in my heart. He accuses you of deception. He accuses me of deception. I mean, you can go to the Gospel of John. His native tongue is lying, and he's the father of all lies, and he's deceptive, but his number one role is accuser. You and I are 100% most like Satan when we bring, when we bring accusations against him. We are. You want a, a great picture, mirror picture of, of Satan if you really want to know what he looks like, stand in front of a mirror and start accusing a brother, sister in Christ. They don't even have to be in your presence. You want, you want, a, you want a witness testimony, a picture, a testifying picture of Satan, look in a mirror and start accusing a brother, sister in Christ. You and I look most like Satan. We are most like Satan when we testify against a brother and sister in Christ. And the problem with our testimony is this. You could say this. Yeah, but Brother Rogers, you know, it's true. What I'm telling the accusation is true. It's true. Really. And what kind, of, what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness am I? You want to you stand before God because you want the first thing we're going to do with the presence of God, we're going to get on our knees. And every tongue is going to confess, Philippians 2, he is Lord. He's Lord. All the atheists are going to say their first words as they go into the presence of Christ in the judgment seat of God, they're going to say, all those that said he wasn't Lord are going to say, he's Lord. And then, oh my, the only thing I have before me is my sin. Time out, Jesus. I got to get some witnesses. No, not going to happen. And any testimony that I could make against you, Haley, even if it was true, if I could look you in the eye and say, Haley, I got an accusation against you, even if it was true, my testimony is false. 
But wait, wait a second. You said it was true. It's still false. You know why it's false? Because I'm a sinner too. I have fallen short of the glory of God. God did not leave me here to bring accusation against anyone. He, he made me Christian so that I could say that God is my witness, that how I long for you all with the affection, the endearing, enduring love of God. Now that would be a good testimony. But we are so, Satan wants you and I to be so convinced in our level of rightness, I've been offended. And these people did me wrong. And you know, they're sneaky. And they're doing the wrong. Well, who are you? And who am I? Could, you, could anybody in here, as you draw your last breath, kneeling before the Lord, then trying to stand up and give an account for your life, could you, with an honest, true, enduring, enduring heart, bring an accusation against anyone? in the presence of the Lord and feel confident in it. If you even think that you could, my heart literally breaks for you because I can't and I've never met anybody who could. We're most like Satan when we, in our witness, accuse. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, it was the greatest courtroom in the history of man. Something was on trial. You say, well, man had already held a trial. Pontius Pilate is a coward with a full power and authority to dispute the false testimony against Jesus. And his wife said, don't have anything to do with this man. He'd already weakened. Just do, how, choose here's a criminal. We know this guy's a criminal. I got to let one of them go, according to your custom. Oh, they chose, they chose the real criminal, Barabbas. Right, do with him what you want. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm washing my hands of this. Falsely accused, falsely beaten, falsely killed. And, he, and then the courtroom really opened. The doors of the court slammed, I mean, wide open, swung wide open. And on Golgotha, 2,000 years ago, there was a courtroom setting. And you had the accuser. Wherever Satan thinks that he has some level of power for some reason, you know, the scripture says if you flee him, he'll, he'll if you resist him, he'll flee. <laughs> he will. The scripture says greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. We have nothing to fear from Satan, nothing. But at that moment, in that courtroom, I am sure there must have been a great something in some evil demonic joy that must have been in Satan. He had caused the people of God to falsely accuse the Son of God. He had persuaded God's people to falsely accuse an innocent man. Court's being held. Judge picks up the mallet, bangs the, pierces it, bangs the 
spikes into him. They pierce him with a spear. They give him sour wine. I mean, you know, the, I hope you know the story. And the testimony, the witness of God was this. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Do you have an accusation that you need to bring against anybody, do you? I don't know. Do you? Do you feel justified in that accusation? Do you? Are you confident that God would just hear it with just wanting to be enlightened? You know, God would need enlightenment. Well, Aubrey, let me get some enlightenment from you because I just, no, he would be like this. Well, Aubrey, let me get some enlightenment from you. Well, it would be so disrespectful because maybe I would do things. If I'm speaking, testifying, God would have to look up to me. Think about that. Could you imagine God? Because he did with Job. He said, Job, now here's the deal, Job. I've listened to you. Now I'm going to speak. I've listened to you, Job. Now you're going to shut up and listen to me. Then the testimony started flowing. What about you? What about me? What about us? Who's your witness? Will Satan be your witness as he has fueled you to accuse with no endearing, enduring affection and the love of God in your heart? Or has Jesus Christ inspired you to the testimony of the cross? And the witness of Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God as the judge and savior of all men. I only want his testimony. I want the testimony of the man on the cross saying, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And you know the irony of that? They knew exactly what they were doing. He wasn't lying. He has the ability to look into a heart and see all the confusion and the mayhem and the foolishness that comes out of our flesh. So he can make that testimony. You and I can't. We can't. I hope you look at this statement a little differently. I hope it's challenged you this morning. I hope that each of us has caused to look into our heart you and I do not know when we're going to die. We don't know. Paul Jenkins' brother had gone through surgery. There was pictures of him with his family on Friday. Wasn't it Friday, Saturday? He looked good. By all prognosis, everything was fine. And he died on a Monday. He had a sister drown. Was at the lake, happy, enjoying life. She drowned. The testimony began. And there was only one witness. There actually is two. It is the witness of the satanic that might be influencing you in such a way or me in such a way that I will listen to the accuser. I will adopt his ways. And I can very clearly see it as I look in the mirror.
or there's the witness of our Savior. Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I long and I hope that I have a heart in me that will produce in me. I pray that you give me that heart that will produce in me a desire to lay my weapons down. Ask for your forgiveness. Examine me before I accuse anyone else. I just pray that you'll bring that about in me. We love you. We need you. And we pray in the name of need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.